And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and I believe God wants to speak to us something this morning. So, Father, we love you, God. We thank you so much for everyone that's here this morning, God. And I just pray that you would just speak to our hearts. Thank you for our church, God. Thank you for our church family. Thank you for, uh, God, Thanksgiving and, God, a time when we, uh, we stop and, 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 like Caleb said, we, we give thanks and we, we try to uh, uh, be a gracious people. But, God, we don't want to just do that one time a year. We want to do that every day. For the believer, it should be every day of our lives. And so, Father, help us to be a gracious people. Help us to be a people that have gratitude in our hearts, Lord, and that we, uh, we, just, we just honor you and love you with all of our hearts and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. And God, help us to love our neighbor as ourself, God. And Father, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts today, that you would change our lives through the Word of God. Help us to be a people, God, that become our lives become a testimony to the nations of the world. God, and that uh, people can see, they can, they, they can so see, God, uh, you in our lives, uh, God, that, that uh, the, the, the work in our lives, God, uh, that they, they stop and glorify our Heavenly Father. And Lord, we just love you, we praise you, we give you the honor and the glory, and we pray all these things in Christ's name, amen. We've been talking about the last few weeks. We've been talking about the mission, membership for the mission, and I'm gonna I'm gonna dive off of that today. It's kind of a good time. We went a couple of weeks on that, talking about um, about what uh, the Great Commission and 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 the church taking this mission of Christ. How are we gonna do that? What does that look like? And we kind of looked at that last week. We defined discipleship and we defined the pathway to discipleship, which was connect. You remember? You remember that we connect people to Jesus, we connect people to disciples, we connect uh, people to the local church, and then we talked about how we then commit. On somewhere, we were trying to find out where we are on that pathway, and then you commit. You commit to, to those things, and then there's a call where we are, we are equipped, and then we're called to go out and uh, take this, uh, this gospel to the, to the far reaches of the earth, and so we want to do that. And next week, or, or in the next week to come, uh, Lord willing, we'll talk about, I thought that was what I was going to preach this morning, it was a message about, uh, about the responsibilities of leaders. What is, what are, what are, what are the, how, how did God, we saw in that about how God is going to uh, take uh, a local group of committed followers like this one, and he's going to place elders in the midst of them, and he's going to lead them, and we talked about that. There's going to be gifts and callings, and, and so we talked about how God's going to do that. So next week, I'm going to tell you what the responsibility of Daniel, myself, Caleb, what is our responsibility to you? What does that look like uh, when God does that? How are we going to lead that? What, what kind of environment are we going to create to do that? And it's spelled out, uh, we're, not, we're never going to do anything outside of what the scripture says, and it tells us specifically the role of leaders. And then the following week, we're going to look at the role of members. What's our role uh, as members of a local uh, group of followers and committed uh, believers that are together? And so we're going to continue down that path, and I want to keep it fresh on our minds about uh, about about doing the work of Jesus now because I believe the, our, our, the hour is so late and we want to take this good news of the gospel to to the uh, four reach 
corners of the earth. And I believe the problem of, of us not doing that in America for so long is the fact of why our nation's in decline. It's not because of the Democrats, the Republicans. It's not the elections. All those things play a part. But it's the church's fault. It's the church's fault in this nation for becoming so complacent, so apathetic, and, uh, and that we're the reason. And you can just look at empty seats in our churches all across the world, and uh, especially in this nation, and see the apathy and the decline. And we've got to become soul winners again. We've got to go out and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I want to stay in that vein today, and I want, but I want to come off of what I thought I was going to preach in this morning and what the Lord laid on my heart. If you got your Bibles, go to Matthew 24. I don't have a PowerPoint because of just changing gears, but uh, you, you can do it old-fashioned way. You can take your Bible out, and we'll, they may have scriptures up there, but you can take your Bibles out and open up to Matthew 24. And I want to talk about uh, the Lord's testimony, the Lord's testimony. What is, what is the Lord looking for uh, to do in the nations of the world? And so let me start reading in Matthew 24 and listen to what he goes to say in these passages of Scripture. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say unto you, Not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will all of these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming? And of the end of the age. And Jesus answered them and said, He said, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars, rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all of these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And here's the text. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Let me read that again. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. Now, many try to determine the end days by and the nearness of Christ by the signs that we read here in these passages of Scripture, right? We say, well, there's, there's earthquakes going on. There's famines going on. There's war every country on the face of the earth, it seems, today. There's just war and more things happening every day. And we try to determine the, 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 uh, the, the nearness of Christ through such signs as, as he tells us here. And, we, and, and it's not a bad indicator that, that the Lord's return is near. However, the end, uh, one of the clear 
clearest signs that I don't think we talk about much is the one here at the very end where he says, he makes one of the clearest statements about what it's going to be like when he, turn, when he returns. He says, the end will not come, but only after the gospel has been preached in all the nations as a testimony. As a testimony. And, and in other words, literally, this will be a, a, not just preaching the gospel, but, but, but presenting it as a testimony. Presenting the gospel as a testimony. Now, that's what that word witness means there. The word witness and testimony here in the Greek are the same. And it literally means proof of fact. Proof of fact. In other words, the, the, your testimony is proof of fact of the gospel. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for a gospel that... that that our lives bear witness out that that gospel is real. That gospel is transformative. That gospel is powerful. That gospel has the power to take somebody like me, a wretch like me, and transform him. Take somebody that was in total darkness and bring them out of darkness into total light. Not somebody who just says it, but their lives don't match up with it, but something that is absolutely a proof of fact. That's what God says. When this gospel, when this witness, when this testimony is preached throughout the uttermost parts of the earth, then the end will come. Now the gospel only has effect. Listen, it's only effective if backed by a life that testifies to its reality. And this is why America is not effective right now in the gospel. Because we've had churches that peddle junk. We've had churches that peddle a different Jesus, another Jesus, and another gospel. And he's saying here that the gospel is only effective when it's backed by a life that testifies to its reality. You'd think that America, because we have a church on every corner, you drove past multiple churches to get here, you would think having so many evangelical churches in this nation that, that, that we would literally have the strongest gospel witness in the world. At one time we did, but that cannot be said about us today. We are absolutely not the most uh, visible nation in the world for this gospel. We are a people where our churches are filled with much divorce, just as much divorce as in the world. We are a church that has uh, singles that lead pessimistic or, or permissive lifestyles. They're sexually active outside of marriage. They're doing things that, that absolutely uh, are an offense to God and that is against the Word of God, and yet we still put the name and the label of Christian upon our lives, and there's very little testimony of Christ's lordship in the people's lives to back it up. We, we have very little testimony to back up this gospel when we take it out and we go into our world and we go into our families at Thanksgiving and we go into our streets and we begin to talk about Jesus, 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 and under their breath they're laughing because they know our life. It doesn't back this testimony, right? And it has little effect. And so there are expectations. Uh, there, there are exceptions. And there are exceptions in this room, I believe, to what we're talking about this morning. There, there, are, there, are, there are ministers and Christians who, who uh, are on their faces before God. They're, they're in their prayer closet. They're on their knees. They're seeking God. And they're, they're, they're wanting more of God. They want this testimony. I, I heard about, this has been years ago, but a pastor who one time, when all the, 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 the church movement was going, going on where all the seminars were going on and the church growth movement was happening and the seeker sensitive movement was uh, beginning to take place that this, this pastor's wife heart began to be stirred because they had gone to all of these things and they were about to build a mega church and they really were going in this vein of, uh, of just these cookie cutter how do we grow a successful church fast and the wife got really convicted about it and she began to pray and not long after that the husband got really convicted about that too and he began 
to give up his dream in order to begin to be a testimony for what he preached. And one day he came into the house and he set up a big screen up on the uh, uh, in the church like this today. And he be- he told the congregation he began to uh, he said God's spirit has been speaking to me about the sins of this church. He began to say I'm I'm troubled for the sins just in this church alone. And he said today we're going to see them in front of our eyes. And he began to just flash sin after sin, fornication. He began to say homosexuality. He began to flash uh, gossip and lying and backbiting. And he began to just flash sin after sin after sin that is going on in our nation. And not only in our nation, in all, uh, in, in this church and in our lives, and in pastors' lives, he began to flash all these sins up against on the screen. And he said, we're not about to build a church until we get this temple right. He said, until we build Christ into this temple, into this living tabernacle, he said, we're not building a church. And all of a sudden, he's, that was his sermon for that day. He said, we've got to get Christ's living tabernacle straightened out before we build any more churches void of the life of Christ and the testimony of Christ and the witness of Christ. We've got to live this gospel first. first. And that do you know that that church experienced transformation because this man got up and his life began to be backed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, his witness and his testimony began to line up with this and when he began to speak, he began to speak with such authority that as he began to preach, lives began to get changed and people began to come to the altar, oh come to the altar, and they began to repent, they began to fall on their faces they began to line up with what the word of God said and that's how revival comes folks they heard the gospel with a testimony behind it and they began to change they began to throw out their think tanks They begin to throw out their schemes. They begin to throw out their seminars and all of their conventions. And they begin to fall on their face before God. And they begin to come out with uh, not strategies of man, but they begin to touch God for for the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, folks. And I'm telling you, all of our plans are in vain if Jesus Christ is not enthroned on our life. If He is not enthroned in our life, in every area of our lives, He must be Lord of all. He must have every area of our life. And the tragedy of this time is that while satanic forces are coming, antichrist forces are coming like never before, uh, they're coming with such power. We must have this testimony and this witness of Jesus Christ because never, never, never in history have we seen what we're seeing today on the face of this earth. Never have we seen the demonic uh, invasion like we are beginning to see now that we're seeing come into our schools, into our homes, into our families' lives, into our workplaces. Never has there been such a wild rush of demonic activity bursting forth on the screen. Seen. Never has there been lawlessness like we're seeing today sweeping the earth where nation is rising against nation. And it's happening because Satan has unleashed his demonic hordes against the final war on the saints. That's what he's doing. The final war against the saints of the living God. He, he is coming after you. If you are a truly devoted follower of Jesus Christ, you are marked today. And he's got his eyes set upon coming against that testimony of Jesus Christ in the earth. And But here's the good news, folks. God is never caught off guard. You know what? God is never caught off guard of what's happening in the world. He's not caught off with guard with the drugs going on in our youth. He's not caught off, with the, off guard with the sex. He's not caught off guard with the abortions. 
But what is his response in a time like such when there's total depravity, when there's wickedness coming like never before? What do you think the response of God would be? What, 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 would, what would be the antidote to such a world? What would he do it, it, to, to, to counter the apostasy that we're seeing today like never before uh, and the growing demonic power? What would God want to do? How would he respond? Well, let me tell you what he would do. He would respond how he's always responded in the Word of God, and that's by raising up a fresh remnant. Okay? That's how he would do it, by raising up a fresh remnant of men and women with a pure testimony of his saving and sanctifying power. That's what he would do. He would take a a few people and he would just begin to raise up a body of separated, Christ-filled people to come against this spirit of Antichrist, godly men and women who will live in total submission to the government of God's Word. They would live to God. They They would live separated lives. They would come under the governance of this Word and this book and they would begin to follow it no matter what it says no matter if their flesh recalls at it they would begin to bow their knee to the word of God they would begin to read it they begin to submit their lives to it they would begin to say even when I go this way like Peter says I'm going to arm myself to suffer because those who suffer in the flesh have ceased from sin they would begin to go the way of God and they would begin to follow God and they would begin to, 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 to go out and affect the lives of people all around in the world and that's what God has always done, and that's the pattern that we see in Scripture. And I'll prove it to you through a few examples today. We see it in the life of Israel in Egypt. If you remember, you remember God's nation was in incredible ruin. You remember the people of God were in slavery, and you remember that there was widespread apostasy that was going on at this time. Satan had Israel under its heel. He had manipulated the political powers of the day to make laws against them, to go against the body of Christ that was on the earth at that time to persecute them. The enemy was ridiculing him. He was mocking them. He was mocking God's testimony on on the earth that they had whips on their back that they were having to make straw uh, without with, and go out and gather their own straw to make bricks it was a mockery he was laughing at the people of God just like he must be laughing at the demonic hordes that are around us today that are plaguing our lives plaguing our families beating us down looking at us under the bondages and the weights of things we've allowed and brought into our lives and we've got taskmasters now over our lives that are laughing at our families laughing at our children and they're doing such a number on us and they're mocking the testimony of God in America and over a people of time over a a period of time what happens under that ridiculing? What happens under that mockery? Like I see on a lot of your faces. Discouragement. Beaten down. No longer any joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. Yeah, preach brother. Right? People grew discouraged. They began black. They didn't come to church anymore. They watched it online. Half-heartedly. Just, just, just over time, discouraged, backslid, indulging in pleasures, in sensuality of Egypt. Begin to take on the culture around them. To do things that the culture was doing. Idolatry, fornication. 
Sin became rampant. All these things the God's people began to do. Israel seemed absolutely hopeless. The faith of the nation was slowly dying like we see around us. But what was God's response in a time when rising powers of darkness, when hordes of evil were coming around? What did He do? Did He stir up the surrounding empires to come in and take out Egypt? Is that what He did? Did He he incite a civil war amongst the Egyptians and cause them to fight with one another and to stop this terrible thing that was going on? Did He send avenging angels to come in there and do the job? No, God did not do such a thing, but what God did, He had a totally different plan, and here is what He did. He laid His hands on one man by the name of Moses, and He totally shut that man up in the prayer closet, and He totally put him in a place where on the backside of the desert for a while, and in places shut up with God, and the Bible said this, that He had he, he took Himself outside of the pleasures of Egypt. He he was different from the rest of them. He didn't stay in the, in the bondage of those things. He decided to come out of those. He decided not to take the wealth of, that he could have taken in Pharaoh's house. And listen to what Hebrews 11 says. It said he, he forsook all of his human ability. And listen to what it says. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He forsook all human ability to rely on the I am that I am. And that's what we've got to do. He became a testimony. And that testimony was backed by a witness. It was literally backed truthfully. The Lord raised him up in the midst of all of this. A man who would act as a testimony. And it brought down the whole nation. The most powerful nation on the face of the earth at that time. With just one sermon. A stick. He had a stick like my dad came in here with today. A stick. A stick and a one-line sermon. Do you know it? If you can know this sermon, you can preach anywhere because this is all an 80-year-old man had to bring down a whole nation. He got alone with God. He separated himself out. He got into the book. He got into prayer. God spoke in his life. When he came out of that place and spoke, he had power and authority in his message. And he came out and this was his sermon. Come on. Pharaoh, your preachers, your preachers, That was all he came out doing. Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh did it. And it just we see this. We see how God raised up and how He did this. We see it also with the same plan embodied in Samuel. Another generation came. You know, we keep seeing in the life of Israel, they would have this repentance, apostasy, backsliding, and then repentance, apostasy, backsliding. Another generation of apostasy, apostasy and depravity came to this uh, nation, and they began to backslide. And uh, at this point, there was a, a high priest. They were in Shiloh, and they were there in this place, and the Bible says that uh, there was a man there that uh, his name was Eli. And, and he had two sons that were absolutely uh, just wicked. They were wicked priests. And they began to fornicate in the temple of God. They began to, uh, to do kinds of, all kinds of evil in that place and all kinds of debauchery. And eventually they were, the ark was captured and they were killed. And this man Eli was a lazy priest inside of there. He saw all of these things and he knew they were wrong yet he was complacent and he 
just didn't do anything about it. Kind of like our churches today, where there's a lack of discipline. We know what's going on inside of our walls, but yet we're we're so tolerant and we're so we're just so scared of losing numbers or whatever that we're, because people don't come today. We're just so scared that we just we just turn a blind eye, and that's what this man did. He turned a, a blind eye to the filthiness and the lewdness and the sickness that was going on in the house of God and all the adultery, the fornication, the rampant evil that was going on in the temple. And you know what? God got so upset for all the people who think God doesn't care about us sinning that He understands and He's just he's paid for it so we can just go on and keep sinning. No. You know what happened in this day? He said, you know what? I've had enough of this. And He said, I'm stamping Ichabod on the door. And that means the Spirit of the Lord God has departed. And I'm afraid that's happened in most of, many of our churches in America. I think we're going on with the church and we're just continuing to shout and sing and in our lives and we don't even realize that the, that the Spirit is not even there. We just know how to have church. We just know how to do it. Because we've done it for so long and we don't even recognize that the Spirit of the Lord is not even there. And the Spirit of the Lord had departed. And, and, and to the natural eye, I mean, God's work had lost so much ground. I mean, pe- satanic forces were everywhere doing their number. And, and, and what do you think happened? God had one man in place, just like He did with Moses. He, raised, he had one little guy by the name of Samuel. One little boy there by the name of Samuel that began to, he began to raise up the Bible says, and this little guy, Samuel, in the midst of this fornication and this gluttony and all these things that Eli was doing, he became more and more intimate with God. He became more shut up with God and the Holy Spirit filled him with prophetic words. And the Bible says that as he began to pray, as he began to come apart from the society, as he began to get alone and worship God, that the Word of God began to come into this young boy. And as this young boy, just like Moses, let my people go, coming out with the Word of God, that would be under the authority of God. Who speaks like this? This man speaks with such authority. And all of a sudden to change a world, to change churches, to change a nation, to change a community when they preach like a Billy Graham coming out, shut up with God and speaking. And people just flock to the altar. Young Samuel Samuel had been shut up with God and he comes out and the Bible says that he becomes a testimony of the living proof of the power of God. And it says Samuel grew and none of his words failed to the ground no Eli spoke like this and everybody's just like looking like we look right now Samuel spoke and life I mean life came transformation came power came and he became more intimate with God and none of his words fell to the ground he consistently spoke with power and authority and no nation was able to lift their hand against the nation of Israel while he was there for 40 years one of the greatest prophets of all time no one was able to come against this nation they could come against this nation when Eli was in there they could come against this nation when Hophni and Phinehas was there but they could not come against the nation when young Samuel, this young guy who had been shut up with the Lord and had got the word of God and came out and was a testimony. When this gospel is preached in all the world as a witness and a testimony, then I'll come. Amen? Amen. We see the same pattern in Nehemiah's life. The walls were in ruins. 
Back in the days of Jerusalem, you remember the story. They were taken captive, the walls to Babylon. The, the walls were in ruins and the church was totally backslidden. And there was no witness left. Kind of like I feel today. Not many witnesses left. And wicked powers were surrounding Israel, mocking the work that God was trying to do. Just laughing at them and mocking them. Go ahead and do your little work and do what you want to do. But how did God respond in such a time of ruin? What did He do in such a day like that? Did He send well-trained militia to go into Babylon and take care of them? Uh, did, he, did, he, did He go to the palace guard and begin to smite the prominent enemies? What did He do? Did He go in there and and do all kinds of warfare and that sort of thing. No, he raised up a single man, a cupbearer that was in the palace of Shushan. He began to raise that cupbearer up, a man by the name of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, even though he was surrounded by the evil of the day, he just, even though he worked right in the side of wickedness, oh, I, I just, well, I see Christians today. We're all beat down. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of this place. It's so bad. They cuss so much. They do this. Nehemiah, right planted inside this wicked palace and he was in there for a purpose and he didn't take on any of it. He didn't, he didn't let it affect him. He, he came apart. He didn't give in to the cussing. He didn't give in to the drinking after work. He didn't give in to all the debauchery and things that were going on. He stayed pure in this time. Stayed shut up with God and the Bible says that God began to speak to this man and a burden began to come upon him in prayer. He began to take on the burden of God. He began to feel the, the, the burden of God to want to build back his church and build back his community and build back his walls and build back his protection and his structure around. And he began to take on that and begin to feel the burden of Almighty God that was upon him. And, and, and the Bible says that because of it, when he began to come out, that, that he maintained this holy walk, everyone heard him preach. And when they heard the, this man preach that had purified his soul in prayer and in the Word with God, he began began to preach and revival swept through the land. Revival began to come through that place. He began to cleanse and cleanse the house of God. He purged it. He said, get every bit of filth out of this place. I don't want to see it anymore. And the Bible says he's, they took every piece of filth out and they began to burn it and revival began to sweep through every, every chamber of everybody's heart. And folks, that's what revival is. It's not just shouting and dancing and having a good time. That comes after the repentance. First comes repentance, then comes times of refreshing. The revival swept every area of their life and Jesus was made Lord of every area of their life. Amen? Amen. And Nehemiah got that authority on his knees. Broken, wanting the heart of God. Wanting the heart of God. And listen to what he did. He confessed the sins of the whole nation. Have you confessed this nation's sin? Or do you just say, that's not me? And you got such pride and arrogance in your heart that you don't think you've that you have contributed to any of this. Listen to what he says. He puts himself in with it, the whole nation. And here's what he says in, in Nehemiah 1. That thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night. And he confesses the sins of the children of Israel. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments of God. 
And God heard this man, and God raised this man up, and it changed the nation. We know that he went back, he rebuilt the walls. We know that the temple was rebuilt. We know that, that it was cleansed, and we know that, that, that things begin to come back to the, to the way they were supposed to do. The, the, another time in the life of Israel was the apostasy and backsliding in the time of Ezekiel. We come to another day where, the, where it was just in Ezekiel's time where it was just so bad. And we have to ask the question, who will become? God once again is asking the question, who will become the testimony in Ezekiel's time? Who will become the testimony? It was just this day. Listen how bad it was. Men, there's nothing new under the sun. There's other generations that have gone through much of what we're going through right now. Listen, and listen to what was happening in this day. Men committed abominations with their neighbor's wives and even defiled themselves with their daughter-in-laws. The prophets backslid, becoming lovers of money and no longer discerning between the holy and the profane. The nation's leaders became ravaging wolves. Is that not our day? The pulpit's corrupt. Washington's corrupt. Everything's corrupt. Our homes are corrupt. Roving eyes, flirting, looking, not caring. About marriage, giving no thought to God's word, no thought to sin, no thought to, 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 to if we're hurting our neighbor, if we're hurting each other, no violence everywhere, wickedness everywhere. And that's exactly what was taking place in this time in Ezekiel's day. And Israel so forgot the ways of God. And the reason America is in the shape it's in today is because we have so forgotten the ways of God. We took prayer out of school. We took, we, we took the Ten Commandments out of our courtrooms. We've taken God every, out of, every facet of life. We had a president, a couple of administrations, ago that said we are no longer a Christian nation. We are a post-Christian nation. And boy, we have slid down that slope so fast, it's not even funny. And we have forgotten the ways of God in this nation. Our children don't even want God. They're half asleep right now in this house because they're so bored to tears over the God that you serve because they see no life. They see no testimony in what we preach and teach. Amen, brother. Preach. They don't see any life in us. You're yawning, looking at your watch, hoping you to. Church is a bygone and an afterthought. We'll go today if we have time. God, if He fit, we, He'll fit wherever. Behind the family, behind the house we're going to build, behind the lake, behind the car, behind this, behind that. And if we have time, we'll put God, you'll get somewhere in there. Amen? And our kids are saying, so what? And the world's suffering because we don't go out and tell others about him. And Israel forgot the ways of God, and the Lord said to them in Ezekiel 22, He said, The house of Israel has become as dross to me. God help us if we've become dross to God. In other words, the nation grew so weak. Worldly and powerless that God made them a laughing stock to the secular world. And we, dare I say, we've become a laughing stock to the world. Dare I say, the church of Jesus Christ has become a laughing stock, powerless, with no effect in this nation. And you need only to look at the last elections and other things to realize that. 
Therefore have I made thee a reproach unto the heathen and a mocking to all the countries. Because you forgot my ways, I'll make you a laughingstock to the world and to the nations of the world. You are so given to your lust, I'm going to remove your witness. Ephesus, I'm going to remove your candlestick. America, unless you repent, I'm going to remove your witness, your testimony in the nations of the world. I'm going to take away your witness. Ezekiel is older now. He's about to be gone. And here's what God told him. He said, I sought for a man like I did Moses and like I did Nehemiah in this time. I sought for a man among you that you should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me and for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Israel's, Israel's fate, what if America's fate, Israel's fate rested in the hands of one man? Let's find one man, one righteous man with a testimony and a witness. One man. If we can find one man, then I might not pour out my indignation upon them. And he's looking and crying out for one man during this time. If I could just find one, can I find one in Brookside? One man, one woman to stand in the gap. It was the same thing in Jeremiah's day. Listen, you run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Seek and find a man or a woman, if there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. If I could find one man or one woman who hasn't allowed truth to fall into the streets, I'd pardon this nation. I'd say revival and awakening, something would happen if I could just find one man to shut themselves up apart from the culture and the society and to get off the phone and off the social media and to get back into the book and begin to pray and seek my face and get my heart and get my burden for the society around them and come out and begin to speak to the world. Hey, demonic forces, let my people go. But I couldn't find one. I couldn't find a true witness anywhere. And even the world's... And today we hear those in the church crying out for more contemporary worship in ways. Bizarre fleshly programs have been tried. Totally appeasing to the flesh. You, people won't come hear an hour-long sermon. They won't hear a guy scream like this. Just trying to be passionate and say, Dear God, let's wake up. They won't listen to that because we got to go somewhere where we get our flesh tickled, where we have a, a nice little concert, where we have a nice uh, something that's appealing to me, where we have a little skit and a 15-minute sermon so I can get back home and do what I need to do. And we've had that going on over and over and over, appealing to the flesh. They have nothing to do with the cross. They, the, the crowds they draw live empty lives, unfulfilled, having never been exposed to the gospel of separation from the world and its lust. They just continue to want to bring in bigger crowds and bigger crowds, all at the expense of a lot of people in a room that don't know God. Putting CEOs in charge. (sighs) 
But if the gospel is not backed by a true witness. See, the more backslidden we become, the more entertainment driven we become. In the house of God. The more backslidden you become, the more we have to entertain ourselves. Even, even, even Spurgeon and others wrote about the clowns and the, and the foolishness that would have to go on in the house of God in times like that. The godly pastor has one goal. To give no rest to his soul until he has crowned Jesus Lord of his life in every area of his life. And that his people have done the same. Crown him with many crowns. That he becomes king of kings and lord of lords in our lives. And any persons whose life is a testimony to the keeping power of God, uh, to the keeping power of the gospel, will become a prime target of Satan's wrath. If we, if we really take a hold of that, we're going to become a prime target of Satan's wrath. And I'm going to close with this here in a second. But this is how you will become. If you hunger and thirst, like I hope you do, for the fullness of Christ, Satan will declare his war on you. And he's declaring his war on you for for one reason. He wants to stop the testimony in your life. When he sees you and he sees that you're really committed, when he sees that you're on fire, he will use every weapon in hell to try to destroy that. He will use every weapon in hell to get a hold of that. And that's exactly what he did with three boys that were found in Babylon in the, that, that he put into the fiery furnace. He, 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 he took them just like he's going to take people today and like he is taking people today. And he devised this elaborate plan to destroy the only testimony of God's power left in that place. Do you know that in Babylon, they were the only testimony of God, right? Of God in that entire place. They were the only testimony. You're the only testimony of God and, and other churches. The, we're the, te- the people of God. We are the testimony of God in America, right? We are the testimony of God in the world. And he is after that. They were the only, only testimony left in this place called Babylon, Daniel and a few others. But they were there. And that's what the fiery furnace was all about. It was all about snuffing out that testimony. So that That's why he created this oven, and he heated that oven white hot because it was meant to kill off the living proof of God's gospel truth. He wanted to kill off the testimony of God. So he took these three godly young Hebrews, he took these Israelites that served in high offices in the Babylonian government at that time. They were visible testimonies, the Bible tells us, of the gospel that they preached. They had separated their lives from the sensuous lifestyle. We know that they didn't eat the king's meat that had been filed and they didn't drink the king's wine. They say separated from the other people in that place. They, they, they practiced uh, their, their, uh, their, their relationship with God. They prayed. We know Daniel took it up in the window. We know he got put in a lion's den for going and praying three times a day there when it was commanded that he shouldn't pray. And we see that their lives were committed lives to prayer and to God. And these guys were not preachers. They are laymen. These are laymen just like you. Laymen and laywomen just like you and in the midst of this place they remained faithful and they 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 stayed away from the idolatry that permeated the society and because they did that that tells me that you and I can do that too in the midst of the world that we're doing young person you can stay pure in your school you can stay separated when the whole school is against God you can be the one in that place that is separated friend you can be the only one at your workplace and you can be separated from God you can be the only one in your family even your husband rails 
rails against you. Even your children do. And you're the only one in that family that stands for God. The Bible says you can stand in that place. You can be committed to God. And you can come out from among them and be, be separate, saith God. Amen? And it stirred up Satan's rage. And it stirs up Satan's rage when you do this as well. He was furious. He is furious today and he is mad. He entered into the heart of a Babylonian king at this time and he began to cause this king to erect this idea of erecting this huge golden statue that, that everybody would come out and there would be this new religion where everybody, when we play the music, then you bow. When we play the music, you, you worship. You worship this God. You fall down and you worship this God and folks, guess what? The whole society did it. Just like dumping water on our head and everything. When they say play and when everybody passes it around on social media you do it too. You follow around and do exactly what they do. And so everybody like good people just did what they did and just copied everything that everybody else did. Took on the world took on the things around the world and all of a sudden except these three guys. But they weren't after all the other people because listen Satan knew the other people. He's got them. That's his children. Who is he after? He's after the testimony of God. He's after you and I that are in this society. That's who this whole thing was erected for. That's who this whole religion was designed to get after. Because the other people are thinking, we got a great. Who in the world is not going to bow to the statue? We got prosperity. We got ease. We got everything we want. They're supplying everything that we need. We get all the oil we want. We get our we get money deposited in our bank account. We got good jobs. Who in the world is in their right mind is not going to bow down to the statue? And so the devil also prompted this king to build this furnace, stoke it white hot, get the flames visible so that everyone could see it. He knew hardly would any would resist. And the fiery furnace was all about, uh, it, it, it was about totally the work of Satan. It was about to destroy these three laymen, like I said. It was to destroy them because he wanted to kill out the remaining testimony of God in Babylon. He wanted to kill the remaining testimony of God that was in the earth. And so he created a situation that was so severe that nobody in their human strength could face it. And that's what he's doing today, young person. Let me tell you something because I've been bound by it. I'm going to tell you something. He is creating, he is stoking the furnace seven times hotter on you today with this thing. He is stoking the internet. Parent, you better know what your kid's doing because I'm going to tell you what, I'm a guy that was bound for pornography more of my life than not. I was so bound by that stuff because I couldn't humanly possible stop the urge that was coming against me. And I got news for you. And don't say it just men because it's growing with women. It's growing leaps and bounds. And they got porn for women. It's called Hallmark and a lot of other stuff where we fantasize about things that ought not to be. He he knows how to stoke the fire. He knows how to stoke the fire. And he's stoking the fire today. And I got news for you. At one time you could resist it, but it's getting stoked so hot in this day and time. It's demonically inspired so much that you cannot resist it without the help of God. And that's why you need to be gathering in church together. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. As some have done, all the more as you see the day approaching. And he wanted to, so, so he created a situation so severe that nobody in their human strength could get out of. Not even godly people. 
Even the elect would fall short. But here's what's so amazing. They didn't bow. And Satan was so infuriated. Listen to what he said out of his own mouth or out of the mouth that he put in this man. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? That's how arrogant he is, folks. That's what he thinks about you. That's what he thinks, young person, as, as you play around with fire. That's what he thinks as you take fire into your bosom. A young uh, married man that shouldn't be in places that you're going or a woman. Hey, that's what he does. He takes it and he brings that fire into their bosom. And, and it's infuriated Satan. And he said, and who is that God that should deliver you out of my hands? Heat the furnace seven times more than, than it would, would be heated on a regular basis. And the devil had God's servants in his sights. That's what he was doing it for. Who do you think you are? You'll never escape the fate that I had laid out for you. And that's what he's saying today to us. That's what he's saying to the believers of God. I'm going to completely destroy your testimony in the earth. I'm going to completely take you out. That's what a lot of people, a lot of Christians have this mentality in America. Oh well, I'm saved. Who cares about my testimony? Right? You better care about your testimony. The heat we face is, is, like I said, is many times hotter than even a generation ago. It's just it's, Satan has rigged our technology with this technological age, with seduction, sensuality, lust, temptation, because uh, he, he just is coming out with this filth out of the, uh, uh, just like never before. And he's not after the masses of children that he already has. He's targeting us, folks. He's targeting us, those with the testimony of the gospel. Many once, once strong believers now, he, he's already gotten. He's already gotten. There's so many people. What, look at COVID. How many people did once, how many people do you know that used to sit in this room that once was on fire for God that, and, in, and in other churches that once was on fire for God and all of a sudden you began to see them after that? Articles on Christian posts. Hey, I'm apostizing the faith. I, I, don't, I don't believe this anymore. One after one after one after one. People that used to be on fire for God, now the enemy had made the, the furnace so hot that people are saying, I'm done with God. Parent, you know, parents are being told by their children, I'm done, I'm going this way, I'm going after Buddha, I'm going after Muhammad. Or in most cases in America, we're just not going after any religion at all. We're just going the way of Europe. But hear me as I, as I close for real. These three men kept their testimony. And because they kept their testimony, it crushed Satan's plan. And that's what I believe we at Brookside are going to do. God turned the devil's scheme into an opportunity to expose the whole nation of Babylon through this testimony. Because these three would not bow to the Lord, or bow, because they wouldn't bow to that Lord, and they bowed to the true Lord of heaven. He delivered them and brought a nation, a clear manifestation of Christ. They saw, they saw Christ. There was a fourth man in the furnace. There was a fourth, and I got news for you. That Jesus cannot burn up. The Jesus that the rest of the world is taking us today. Listen, Paul one time, and I'm going to close, Paul one time talked about that any man that builds, he said, he said there's a revelation of Jesus Christ that is coming. And he says, I have the true revelation. And he says, any man that builds on any other foundation than what I built on, that ain't it. And he says this, the fire, the day will come when it will be tried by fire. That if the world, it's going to be tested, your work. And you're going to see what manner of it is. And I believe the day is coming now. Not just a day 
day when we stand before the throne. We're in the fire today, folks. We are in the fire right now. And the fire is testing the work of a lot of ministries. It's testing the work of a lot of things. And it's finding out who is wood, who is hay, and who is stubble, and who is gold and precious and silver. And we are finding the day is revealing. The day of the Lord that's coming is revealing what is real and what is not. And I got news. This fake Jesus that we've been preaching, this Jesus that gives you everything, wealth and prosperity and nothing ever happens and all that good stuff, that Jesus is going to burn up in these days because that's not the real one of the Bible. But the one of the Bible, i got news with you. He goes with you into the fiery furnace. He goes with you into the trial. He goes with you into COVID. He goes with you into death. He goes with you into sickness. He goes with you into these places and you come out the other side. Amen? With a testimony. A powerful testimony. And they saw it. And you know what the king did? He reversed the decree, Daniel. He had a decree and he nullified the first decree of idol worship. And guess what he issued the new decree? Here's what he said, Natalie. He, he got the next decree and he said this. He said, he said uh, which speak anything that misses the God of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other God that can deliver like the one of this sort. And it all happened because of their testimony. Three righteous lovers of Jesus Christ. They were, they, they, they were responsible for changing the laws of their society. How can we change society? What can we do about the election? What can we do about our schools? What can we do? We can do this. We cannot allow our testimony to be ruined. That's the greatest weapon. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the world as a witness to all. And then the, and then the end will come. And listen. Well, let me pray. Father, hallelujah. I know that was a little choppy, Lord, but... It's true, nonetheless. The greatest sign of your coming will be when the world witnesses a gospel backed by a testimony. And Father, I believe that's going on in China right now. I believe that's going on in Iran. The fastest growing church right now, they can't even, they can't even stop it is going on in Iran. And the whole world, the Western world would have no idea that it's going on. They can't, they can't build enough jails to keep the people in. There's such a revolt. And there's such a coming to Christ. While the Western world trades in their testimony for a new iPhone. While we give up a life with God for beds and couches of ease. Dear God, awaken us. Like Nehemiah, God, I just see a world where the walls are in ruins. Like that pastor, I, I don't see my own life being in the place it needs to be. Or this church or, or our world. And God, I'm asking to, for your help. Dear God, help us. Resurrect us, dear God. 
And make us a visible testimony of your glory in the earth again. Help us, God, to go outside of these walls and everywhere that we go for people to see something like they saw in Nehemiah, like they saw in Moses, God, that we choose not. Even though we are in Pharaoh's palace and we could have all the delicacies that we want, we choose to separate ourselves out and to be with the people of God. And Lord, let us be such a people like that, God, that are shut up, that we get into the prayer closet, we get the heart of God, we come out with the Word of God, and when we speak, there's such boldness and there's such authority in our lives, God, that it affects the culture and the society around because there's something backed by, God, our witness is backed by something, dear God. And oh, Lord, please let that be the case in my life, God. Please let that be the case in this church's life, God. We want your Lordship to permeate our lives, God. Take control of our lives, God. Take control of every ounce and every fabric and every facet of our lives. Go down deep into the places that we are unsurrendered and God, where we haven't given you complete control. And Father, just take the reins of our life. Take it all, God. Bring us to a Gethsemane moment, God, where we say no longer our will be done, but your will be done. Crush us in that wine press, God, if you have to. Let the cross crush us of all of our strength, God. All of our strength, God. That was what you said and to any man that wants to be my disciple, that wants to come after me and follow me, he must take up his cross daily and he must follow me. And Lord, what happened? You couldn't even carry your own cross to the end. But another man had to help carry it the rest of the way. You gave, Lord, you came to a place where it was impossible to go in, in your own strength. And that's the same for us, God. There comes a place where Brad has to die, where I can go no other step in my strength, God. But it's only the strength and power of God that I move forward in. And that's only when you put a cross upon me, God. And you crucify us. And God, no, I'll no longer live, but it's Christ who lives within me. And so, Father, just, just, just kill us, God. Kill the American church. God, kill us. Crucify us. God, God let, let, us, let, us, let us die to self. Let us die to self now, God. Let us die to self and let us be resurrected to new life. Oh, God, help us. Help us to be your visible test, uh, testimony in the earth, God. Lord, I don't want to. I, 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 Lord, I, I'm contemplating this thing, God. There's such, a, there's, such a, there's such a desire in me to want to quit. There's such a desire in me to want to give up. There's such a desire to say it's not worth coming up here and preaching anymore. There's such a desire, God, to just throw in the towel. There's such a desire, but God, I, we can't. We can't, God. Not on our watch. We've got to keep going to the end, God. And every person in this room needs to keep going, God. We've got to keep going. And just like these Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego kept going. Just like Nehemiah kept going, God. Just like Esther kept going, God. Give us the ability to continue to go through the power of the Spirit, God. Hallelujah. Lord, we give you the praise, we give you the honor, and we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.